the voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Davo. Well, you can chalk up today in the bummer column. As the Royals run into Marco Estrada on his A-plus game and can never get the bats going, eventually helping to lead to KC's demise 7-1 to in Game 5 of 7 against Toronto here in the 2015 ALCS. And it's Davo. Happy you've joined us here for the latest edition of Your Dish on Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players year-round with in-depth interviews. Make sure you check those out if you are new to the site and appreciate you finding our dish after each and every one of the games here as we break down the games and then, of course, look forward to the next one. And so, yes, we will get, you know, down and dirty and look forward to Game 6 here coming up in a few minutes. But first... We will talk about this one. We'll get to Edinson Volquez, how he deserved better than he got, how home plate umpire Dan Iasonia squeezed him without a doubt in the sixth inning, all that coming up. But we start with our player of the game for today. And while we had like seven legitimate choices last night, today, what do we have? Like zero? <laughs> I mean, our player of the game is Salvador Perez because he does hit the home run oppo field style. In the eighth inning off of Marco Estrada, Salvi won for three. And that was literally all the offense the Royals got. So that's why Salvi is your player of the game. That's their only extra base hit of this entire contest to go along with only one walk. That's obviously going to equal a loss nine and a half out of ten times. And that's what this one was for the Royals. Yeah, they were just 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position. Just never had base runners today. Nine up, nine down to start the game for Estrada. Never looked back. The Royals left only three on base. There just weren't guys on base. And it's not the Royals' fault today. They ran into a pitcher, a good pitcher. I don't think he's a very good pitcher. I think he's I think he's a good pitcher having a great year. This is a career year for Estrada, you have to believe, especially with only two pitches, right? And he gets good run on the fastball and was working very effectively in the lower half of the strike zone, obviously. But just fastball change up 90% of the time, I mean, the Royals got to him okay for three runs and five and a third in the first time they saw him in the series, but he shut him down earlier this year, too, in seven shutout innings. So it's a guy the Royals have struggled with a bit, and a guy who's had a very nice year. So take nothing away from him. I think he's having a career year, but it doesn't matter. He had a great day today, and he shut down the Royals. So I hate to do this, but I tipped the cap today. I really do. I, I think Estrada pitched a hell of a game. So let's give him some credit before we start busting our boys who have been fantastic throughout the postseason with the bats in their hand, especially since game four of that ALDS. But I mean, no real scoring threats for the Royals outside of that eighth inning. And unfortunately, the frenzy hitting didn't start until there were two outs in the inning with Salvi's home run and a couple more knocks from the eight and nine hitters. And Escobar had a ball hard, but that was able to right field get to you know Toronto out of that eighth inning. And that was all that she wrote for the Royals. They went quick and easy, one, two, three in the ninth inning. Estrada, seven and two-thirds, his final line, allowing one run on three hits. K's five, BB's one. Uh, some other bummers offensively. Lorenzo Kane loses that 13-game postseason hitting streak he had, which was only four away from tying the Major League record of 17. That's a bummer. A team record, though, 13 in a row for Locaine. Defense, you know, off, or in, in the postseason, offensively there in the hit streak, and disappointing offensive day. Just that's the way to sum this up. But again, I give eighty percent of that credit to Estrada. Now we get to you know p- talking about Toronto's pitching. Let's also talk about Edinson Volquez today. 
What'd you think of him? I think certainly we can both agree. When I say we, I'm assuming you're also a person who bleeds royal blue. I think we can both agree, and I think anybody even neutral watching this game, but especially somebody wearing royal blue goggles who bleeds royal blue is going to agree that he deserved a lot better than he got. The Lions should have been much better. Volquez pitched much better than this, and it wasn't sexy like his last start. You know, He felt like that coming in from the bullpen, he told us earlier in the series. But, I mean, Volquez, five-plus innings, five runs on three hits. No way that should have been a five-run outing. Five runs on three hits. He walks four. That ultimately killed him along with a key hit batter that we'll get to here in a second that happened in that sixth inning. And he only struck out two. So didn't miss enough bats today, and the control wasn't quite there to a degree. Because like I said, and I, and this is probably, is this the first time all year I've really brought an umpire up? Maybe second? I, and I'm not blaming this game on the umpire. The Royals, 90% chance they lose this game, even if Volquez gets the calls in the sixth inning. But there's no doubt this game could have been different, and certainly the Royals could have potentially, possibly, won it. Had things broken a bit different, trailing just one nothing in that sixth inning. Let's go through the inning. I mean, it fell apart for Volquez. And we'll give... Dan Iasonia, some of that credit, and a small bit of that to Ned Yost as well for leaving in Volquez, an obvious one-hitter too long. But we'll start off with the seven-pitch leadoff walk to Ben Revere. That's killer in a one nothing game. You're starting your third time through the order. You know, you got Donaldson, Bautista, Encarnacion, and Calabella who took you deep in the second inning all coming up. You cannot walk the leadoff hitter there. He does on seven pitches, and that was a legit walk from Volquez. Then he hits Josh Donaldson in the very first pitch. Not good. Now, first and second with nobody out. And to Ned Yotes' credit, he has Calvin Herrera up and getting loose at this point. And Herrera, it takes him three to five minutes to be ready. Not not long at all. So Herrera is already starting to get loose before Jose Bautista comes into the batter's box, and that's important to note. So first and second, nobody out. After a walk and a hit batter, Herrera's warming up. One nothing game in the sixth inning. Your bullpen is fresh as they come. Only one guy wasn't available today, and that was Medlin. So, Jose Bautista steps in, and this is where Dan Iasonia, home plate umpire, comes into the equation. Edison Volquez had him struck out without a doubt. It ends up being an epic battle. Ten pitches and give Jose some credit for a great at-bat. Give Volquez credit for pounding the strike zone. The tenth pitch is a knuckle curve right down the freaking middle of the plate. And yes, it was in the lower half of the strike zone. It wasn't an obvious at-the-belt strike, thank God, because Batista probably hits that ball 480 feet if it is. But it's right down the middle of the plate at the knees, lower half of the strike zone. Even the little nifty Fox Tracks replay showed that it was in the strike zone. Not only that, but Bautista brought the bat head nearly halfway through the zone. It was a borderline check swing. He probably did check on that. They didn't even appeal. Dan Iasonia refused to even let the Royals appeal. Not only was the, but they shouldn't have had to. The, the, the ball was a strike. That's strike three. And that's the first out of the inning. Runners at first and second. So you get that out right there. You've got first and second with one out. And at that point, I would probably be okay with Ned Yost leaving in Edinson Volquez. Because to that point, total pitch count for Volquez at this point is 82. So 82 is not horrible. However, once you get the walk, which was BS, he didn't walk him, but you have to go by what happened, and it goes down in the books as a walk, and that's what happened. Once it goes down, bases loaded, nobody out, 
82 pitches, nobody out. You've got to bring in a fresh arm who can miss bats. We said Volquez had only had struck out two in this game. You've got to, and that would have been three, I understand. But I'm just saying, at that point, Ned's got to go get him. And his willingness to stick with Volquez certainly paid off in a big way in game one as Volquez threw 111 pitches and got through six. And a lot of that credit goes to Ned Yost for sticking with him. In another tough sixth inning, and we, we've t- been talking about it on the dish all year long, it seems to always fall apart for Volquez in the fifth, sixth innings. Almost, If he has a bad start, it's always in the fifth or sixth inning. A classic guy who can give you two really good times for the order, but for whatever reason, either it runs out of gas or they figure you're mad or it's a mental block. I don't know what it is, but Edinson seems to consistently fall apart in the fifth or sixth. And that's the hallmark of a number three starter, which is what Volquez is. Let's not kid ourselves. He's still a good major league starter. We're damn lucky to have him, and he deserved better than he got today. But at that point, to me, you've got to go get Herrera, who is plenty loose by then. You bring him in, bases loaded, nobody out. you got to miss some bats in that situation. Or at least find a way to get a couple outs there and let one run score, and that's it. I mean, if the Jays just get one run that inning, there's a decent chance the Royals come back. And, and you know, Salvi hits the home run. Now everything's different. I'm sure Estrada's probably not still in the game if it's two nothing. So probably Salvi doesn't get the chance to hit the home run on the eighth off of Estrada. You can't just assume everything that happened afterward would have happened. I'm one of the people that will tell you that more than anybody. So I'm not one of those people that just buys in. I mean, I think every every at bat changes the next at bat. Every pitcher changes. The score. Every pitch sequence changes what happens afterwards. So you can't just assume the Royals would have gotten that home run from Salvi and say, oh, it would have been 2-1. to one. I mean, it could have been better, though, for the Royals is my point. They probably hook Estrada after the 7th at the Royals, maybe even after the 6th. David Price is probably in this game. It at least burns David Price if the Royals can get out of that inning with one run, so on and so forth. A decent chance the Royals can come back. So A, they easily could have had Iosonia given Volquez the call, but B, Nedios has to go get him with bases loaded and nobody out. And this is not... This is not a hindsight call. This was an, a pretty obvious call to, to everybody watching the game. And again, I'm not going to bash Ned too much. I'm not upset about it because Ned has consistently stuck with his guys in these types of situations and for the most part has been paid off with his belief. And that's why the players love him and play so well. It's that culture the Royals have of fully belief and backing each other and being, you know, playing relaxed, believing. And Ned deserves an enormous amount of credit. So I'm not trying to bash him here. I'm just saying that at that point he had to get him out of the game in a one nothing game and you've got a full bullpen and an off day tomorrow. Anyway, you know, you know what happens. So bases loaded, nobody out after Iasonia blew it big time. No first and second one out. Bases loaded, none out. Six pitches to Edwin Encarnacion. Iasonia does not give Volquez two more borderline pitches. You have to give him something. My God. And Volquez was getting that low and away strike earlier in the game. We've not seen good home plate umpiring the last two games. We have not, and that includes even the Royals' win. Even the Royals' win, they weren't getting great calls. I mean, the, the, this, I thought game one was extremely well umpired by, uh, God, who was the, who's, he's, who was the home plate umpire game one? Blah, 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 blah. I should know this. Uh, Damn. I know the answer if I thought about it for a second. Whoever, the, whoever it was, I'll go back and look. Did a great job in game one, and he is the umpire, by the way, in game seven. The game one umpire will be back behind the dish in game seven if it goes game seven, and we'll talk about that coming up here in just a couple more minutes. Anyways, Ned goes and gets Herrera. Once it's too late, really. At that point, they get the second run in on the fourth end. There's still nobody out. Kelvin Herrera does strike out the side. Chris Colabello, the first hitter he sees, and then strikes out Navarro and Pilar to get him out of the inning. But the problem was in the middle, Troy Tulowitzki, who has not been hitting well in this series, but his hits, he's made them count. Big hits every time he gets a hit, and he clears the bases in the gap with a double, and that was all that she wrote for the Royals at that point. Five nothing, it's ball game at that point. But yeah, you look back, and Volquez certainly deserved better. He had an out right there. That's five and a third. 
instead of five and five, you know, instead of five innings, five runs, it's now five and a third, still one run. And who knows what happens next? Maybe Volquez doesn't walk in Carnacion if he gets the previous hitter out. You can't just assume it'd be an automatic walk there. Maybe he does, and Herrera comes in and strikes out Colabello and then pitches Tula Whiskey differently. You don't know what happens, but there's a pretty good chance that Volquez probably had two runs handed to Toronto that shouldn't have happened because of Iosonia. I think that's a, a fair middle we can meet on. We'll just say Toronto would have gotten maybe one or two otherwise, but no doubt they got an extra two runs in my book from the call. So there you go. That's my thoughts. That's where we're at You know, after today. Danny Duffy, a couple pretty good innings, missed some bats, but as we know, Toronto mashes left-handed pitching, and even though he threw the ball well, was touched up a bit as well with the extra base hit, and we know that, which is why Duffy probably can't pitch much in this series and why he hasn't pitched much in this series. So now, let's look where we're at now. The Royals are ahead 3-2 to two in this best-of-seven series. Are we happy? Are we angry? Are we frustrated? Are we confident? Where are we at right now? I think you have to be pretty happy. Because, A, if you would have told either you or I that the Royals would be ahead 3-2 to two after 5, coming home for Game 6 and 7 at the K, every single one of us would have taken that. Guaranteed. Nobody thought we were going to sweep this series, even though the Royals came close. Nobody, though, thought the Royals would sweep the series. So if you come home ahead 3-2 to two with two chances to close them out, and I know you had another chance today, so you now you only have two more. You already blew one chance to close them out. But Toronto's not going to go down without a fight. There's a reason they have the second-best record in the AL, and they're tough at home. So the fact that the Royals went up there, the B thing that you have to be happy of is because coming in with the Royals ahead 2-0, we said they had to go and get one game in Toronto. That was the bare minimum. They had to do that, and they did. They were able to go up there and get that third win. And yes, it's frustrating if they have even a bad start from Cueto instead of historically bad. There's a decent chance the Royals have swept this series. But you also have to look if they kind of stole game two. So it kind of evens itself out. I mean, if you're going to say that they should have won the Cueto game, you have to say that Price probably should have won the other game. So it kind of is a legit 3-1 at that point. And the Blue Jays, of course, won very legitimately today. So to me, this is a 3-2 legit series. This is where the Royals should be right now. So now you come home and you figure out a way to close it out. And speaking of Cueto, do you trust him in Game 7? I'm going to assume the answer is no. Because I don't. Now, do I think Cueto could have another great outing like he did against Houston at home in an elimination game when he, you know, retired 19 in a row for the first time since Don freaking Larson in 1956? Of course I think he could. Maybe not that. I'm not saying he's going to do that again. But I definitely think it's a possible of a six or seven innings of one run, one or two run ball. But I think it's equally just as likely that he goes five innings and gives up four if the Royals allow him to go that long. I'm assuming the leash should be very short if there is a game seven, which is purely speculative. We can talk more about this on Friday night after the game if, if it comes at this point. It's probably no point to even really talk about it. But he's taken the ball in game seven. And I've been back in Cueto ever since the Royals got him, staying positive, saying you've got to look at seven years of data over 10 to 13 starts. But the more this happens and the more he is bipolar and the more the excuses come out of his mouth, it just completely turns me off. Not that I was ever turned on by Cueto, but hey. It's 2015, whatever, right? Anyway, so <laughs> game six, David Price, who during the regular season could win the Cy Young, but you have to wonder if Price is even right. That's a bad pun. I didn't mean for that to you. That was a, a no pun intended, the Price is right. I, you have to wonder if the Price is right, though, right? 18-5 and five at 2-4-5, so nobody can deny he had a fantastic regular season. Ventura finished strong, 13-8 and eight with a 4-0-8, but you know Price's story 
0-7 lifetime in the playoffs in seven starts, which is a major league record, 0-7 there. And what a strange postseason has been for Price. He gets the one start against Texas, and then they don't start him. In, well, in game five, they don't start him. They pitch him out of relief. They pull R.A. Dickey, give him the early hook in game four, and go to Price in the, in the fifth inning. Who wasn't particularly good that day, and Price is not real happy about that, as he kind of says afterwards, "Whatever's good for the team, I don't, you know, I'd rather have the ball." You can tell he wasn't happy about it. He's a pretty good team guy. He's not going to pull a Jose Bautista and throw somebody under the bus. He's got class. But between that, and between the fact that in a five nothing game, John Gibbons and the Blue Jays had Price getting hot today during the seventh inning and close to coming in the game, and I think we would have saw him had the Royals only given up one or two runs in that sixth inning we just talked about. The fact that they were willing to burn him today when they were only about three innings, two to three innings away from closing this game out, and you had your two best relievers in theory, although you know, Brett Cecil is one of their best. He's out with the injury, and Loop is not there because of personal reasons. We wish him the, the best, but you've still got a couple of really good relievers. Your closer, Osuna's there. You got Aaron Sanchez there. I mean, you had your... Surely you would think those two guys can protect a five-run lead in two to three innings, right? But they've still got Price getting loose, which I found extremely odd. What's going on with that? Why is Gibbons doing that? If Price is a Cy Young candidate, which he is, your cornerstone starter for the rest of this year, he'll walk after the year, but they gave up the farm to get him, which he is. It just seems like it's bizarre handling of him. It just makes you wonder if everything's right. And even at the end, and he threw 96 pitches against the Royals, so he must not be that beaten up if he is. But even if, even there, the Royals, the last 20 pitches, the Royals started hitting him. So it makes you wonder if there's something up with David Price, just like you wonder if there's something up with Johnny Cueto. But anyway, so the Royals, of course, got five runs in the seventh after Price had retired 18 in a row in that previous game. And Ventura will square off with him as well. He went in that game as well, going five and a third, giving up three runs on eight hits, did ace Ventura, six Ks, two walks. And, you know, the Royals will take a similar effort on Friday night. If he can go six innings, five-plus innings, two or three runs, the Royals will take it with a bullpen that will be fully rested. No way Davis now for five days, six days by the time that game is played. Kelvin Herrera will be 100%. Everyone will, obviously. Even Medlin will be back to full strength by then. So the Royals will have a fully stocked bullpen if they can get five to six innings of three runs or less out of Ventura. You have to feel like they can push across three runs against David Price, two or three runs even. And then get in that bullpen and find a way to win it. Make this a bullpen game, and the Royals will take game six. So I, of course, before the series started, picked the Royals in six. So I'll, I'll go ahead and do that, although I did modify my prediction. I'm not, I'll stand by it. I did think the Royals would close them out today. I, I predicted them to win game five, and they didn't. So game six, I'm... Going to stick with the Royals. That was my original prediction. I'm going to flip-flop like a politician here and go from five to six. So start with six, then five, not back to six. So there we go. We'll talk to you again Friday night here on Clubhouse Conversation. Do have some more good interviews coming up with former Royals. We had a recent 85 Royal, Pat Sheridan, recently on, on, the, uh, on the show. Another guy from that team will be coming up. That's your hint for next week. And I've been getting in touch with a number of former Royals, and I'm excited to bring them throughout, you know, to you throughout the entire winter. We do talk to your favorite current Royals during the season as well. Uh, Alex Gordon interview, if you haven't heard it from about three weeks ago, is up on there. We'll resume the current Royals during the season. We talked to many of the top 20 prospects. I believe 13 of the top 20 prospects are on here. Full-length interviews, learn more about the kids, both on and off the field. Hopefully you're enjoying the site like I am doing this. It's a lot of it's a lot of a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And, I, and hearing from you means a lot to me. So if you enjoy the, the site, I'd love to hear from you. Dave O at clubhouseconversation.com at Royals Clubhouse on the Twitter or Clubhouse Conversation on Facebook. You can also friend me on Facebook, Dave O'Brien. Look forward to speaking with you and, and thank you so much for listening. Tell a friend and we'll talk to you again Friday night. Hopefully 
after a jubilant, jubilant, whatever the hell the word is, an exciting night at the K. Let's fingers crossed. I believe the Royals will get it done. Let's hope. Talk to you then.